that talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Friday Buckeye Talk. It's game preview time. Doug Maurice, Nathan Baird, Stephen Means, and special guests to help kick off this podcast. Keith Sargent, one of the finest beat writers in all the land, covering Rutgers for NJ.com, our sister company. Keith, thanks for your time, man. We're excited to have you on. I mean, you said special. Special guests? That, that might be a little bit uh, too much, uh, Doug. St- run-of-the-mill guest, Keith Sargent. Perfect. Um, Perfect. Average, average dude. Rutgers, Keith, Seems, I think, from the outside to the average Ohio State fan, Rutgers seems a heck of a lot more interesting than Rutgers football was a couple years ago. Is that a fair assessment? I think it's fair. I think in some ways, Doug, I think uh, they're <laughs> sounds like Pinocchio. I'm, uh, you know, I'm a real boy, but I, I think in some ways, I think they're a real Big Ten program right now. Um, and that is, uh, is you don't get any more indication than the second half at Michigan last week. I think there was a little bit of skepticism from last season. You know, no one really knew, you know, you know, whether that was uh, legit because of the COVID year. Even the first three weeks when Rutgers got off to their first three and zero start in nine years, skepticism because of who they played. But second half against Michigan, even though it was ultimately a loss, they really took it to Michigan. They beat them in on uh, on both sides of the ball in the trenches, um, held them to, to three and outs on four straight possessions. They really dominated in the run run game. They helped kept Michigan's run game in check. And again, like I said, I think they look like a real Big Ten program. I wanted to kind of get your further assessment on that Michigan game because I know people see that final score and probably make assumptions. But then also, if you watch the first half of that game you saw Michigan kind of dominating things too. But then at the same time, Rutgers, I think, went forward on fourth down a couple times and didn't get it. That would have changed the complexion of that game. I, I just – so was the score deceiving at all? Was this, was the outcome deceiving in the other way? I get how do you kind of – from the totality of that, what did it tell you about where Rutgers is right now? So it was not deceiving. Like I said, I think Rutgers won the second half. I mean, ultimately they didn't win the game. What, you know, going back to last year's Ohio State game, which I'm sure uh, you guys uh, both remember, that final score was deceiving. I think it was a 22 point uh, final margin, but Ohio State was down, it was up 35 3 at halftime. Rutgers came back with all, all those gadget plays. In some ways, that final score was deceiving. Last week against Michigan, again, wasn't deceiving only because, like I said, I think Rutgers imposed their will in uh, Michigan in the second half. There were moments in that game where you kind of had a feeling that Rutgers, you know, might have a chance to pull this upset. You know, remember they miss a field goal with about eight minutes to go in the game. Would have pulled them within um, w- within four at that at, at that point. And then you know, and then they had uh, two more drives, you know, uh, in which they had chances to actually uh, possibly either tie the game or win it. How much of this is maybe just a product of there are a lot of teams in the Big Ten who have maybe benefited from the extra year rule, but it's you, you got has pretty much brought back your entire offense. I mean, how much of this is is that? The fact that literally everybody is back, and so you can kind of build on some stuff, and now we're seeing that kind of play itself out here the first four weeks. It's a good question, Stephen, because Rutgers, um, I did I, you know, I did a story back in the summer. Um, no Big Ten team um, returned more six-year seniors than Rutgers. They have nine on their roster. And most of them are, are key contributors, you know, playing, you know, throughout, you know, the, the, the depth chart, special teams. And, you know, that that experience helps because, I mean, you, you, you think about, 
you know, Graciano comes in year one, implements a system. Um, it's a little complicated, and now he doesn't have to go through that. Uh, you know, learn you know learning the ropes. You know, this season. So I think not only do they have you know what he would call grown men, you know, up and down the, the depth chart, but they also have guys who have a, a lot of experience. All right, Sarge. So so I came up with the slogan for Rutgers football this week. I don't know if it's made its way to uh, New Brunswick yet, but the slogan that I came up with is never forget to grow, you know, cause you want to learn from your mistakes and always grow as a person, but it's N NFTG because it's really a hidden, it's a hidden slogan. So publicly you say it's never forget to grow, but then behind the scenes, the Rutgers people would know it means no F's to give. And that to me could be a defining characteristic of Rutgers football. And the reason I want the, them to adopt that slogan is because it feels like to me that Greg Schiano and this Rutgers program, they let it out. There are so many programs to me in this country that when they start playing a game where they're competing with a more talented team, oh, you know, we drove inside the five-yard line and we kicked a field goal. Or we got the fourth and two at midfield and they punted, right? And they, and they have a chance and they refuse to take it. And there's oh, nothing that aggravates me more than a, a team – that's trying to upset, uh, bring an upset, and they're like afraid to take it. And I never get that sense from Greg Shiano Rutgers. I always feel like Shiano was like, let's go take that thing. Let's, we believe in ourselves. We'll take a couple risks and let's, we'll live with the results. Yes or no on the slogan, Keith, what do you think? I like it. I think you have a, a future in mark- marketing for sure. Yes. Um, yep. Um, but no, I, I, to your point, I think, um, you're right, because, I mean, I just looked at the stat. Um, Rutgers has gone for it on fourth down 12 times this season. They've converted on six times. You know, I think it, you know, oozes into the, you know, into the players, uh, you know, psyche that, you know, they're, that they're going to have a coach who is going to go for it. You know, obviously, you know, players always love to go for it, you know, in, in, in those situations. That being said, you know, there was a situation late in the half where maybe that aggression, you know, might have cost them three points in that game. You know, fourth and ten, down at like the forty-five yard line. They they went for it. You know, low percentage there, incomplete. You know, Michigan in turn goes goes down and 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 gets a field goal late. You know, late in the half makes it a fourteen-point game, a seventeen-point game in halftime. Um, you know, that situation might have ultimately. You know, you know, my, you know, Greg Shiano after the game admitted that. You know, if he had to do over, he probably you know he probably would have taken one, but. Again, I think the aggression overall, the fourth going for it on fourth down, I think it's kind of helped with the psyche of this program. And I think ultimately it's a benefit. Are people getting fired up, Sarge? Like, what's how is the fan base responding to this so far? It's tough because <laughs> you have to understand, you know, Chris Ash, you know, the that era of football, you know, late in Kyle Flood, and then you know, throughout that that era, you know, they went from a uh, a season ticket capacity of 31,000 down to 28 down to 22 and you know Chris Ash's final year I think it was down to like 15,000 which you know an Ohio State fan you know was going to look at and and and, and kind of like laugh at I'm sure and you know but you know that's how you know downtrodden this fan base was Greg Shiano has gotten up to above 20,000 I still don't think I know you know I know they're they're still struggling to make this a true sellout, which is not good, you know, when, when, you know, the number 10 team in the country is coming to town, 
their fans, you know, just based on, look, you know, you know I'm, I'm going to tell you my pure metrics of people reading my articles. I think there's more interest. You know, I, I see it on Twitter. You know, I see it, you know, just, you know, on social media. But I think it's going to take a little bit more time. You know, we're still, you know, at, at, at a point where the program has been so bad for, for so many years. And yeah, I think it's going to take a little bit more time. So I, I, I want to do one more off the field thing here, and then we'll get back into some of the playmakers and stuff that Ohio State fans should be aware of for the game on Saturday. I, I mean, I know, you know, this is this is year two for Shiano, right? Year two? Just year two, Shiano? Year two. Year two. Yep. Mm-hmm. So it's well, not year like two, if you want to count, you know, his first 11-year run. I mean, you know. Yeah, year 13. So, I mean, this is it's, it's not it's not like just happened yesterday, but just to go over again, because it was some of the best reporting that our company has ever seen, the way NJ.com absolutely dominated the coverage of Greg Schiano's negotiations with Rutgers to come back. And I say I would say dominated to the extent that I not that you seek, go seek out influencing a situation. I think you guys did influence the situation because you were reporting all sides of what was happening. And it feels like the school reacted to what you were reporting and was like, oh, my God, he's not going to come. And then they did what they had to do to get it done. As we sit here in year two of Greg Schiano, two part question. A, do you think Greg Schiano retires from football as the Rutgers head coach? But more importantly, B, how big of a deal was it that Rutgers in the end did what had to be done to get Greg Schiano to come back instead of going to Butch Jones or whatever other recycled guy with no Jersey roots that they would have gone to if they wouldn't have gotten Shiano? A, yes, I do think that. I mean, you never know, right, Doug? I mean, you know, just a couple of weeks ago, um, Pete Thamel uh, of Yahoo Sports floated out Greg, you know, uh, you know, Greg Schiano is, you know, among the uh, USC candidates and, you know, we, we pressed him on it. You know, he, he, he laughed about it. And, you know, I just remember, uh, you know, you know, not long after he took the job back, like he, you know, said, you know, he, you know, almost like waxed poetic about, about, you know, you know, his decision to go to the NFL, believe it was the right time and, you know, right decision at the time. But, you know, I think in, in, in a lot of ways, he, you know, he would have been like, you know, wanted to be like the Joe Paterno type guy, one of his mentors who, you know, stayed at Penn State all those years. I mean, I think, you know, I think now he's 55 years old. And I think he kind of appreciates, you know, everything, everything that, you know, Rutgers has given him. And, and I think he envisions himself as, you know, retiring at, at, at Rutgers. The second part of the uh, question, he's the only guy who's ever really gotten it done, you know, in this era of football. I mean, you can go back to, you know, John Bateman in 61 and, you know, undefeated uh, season, Frank Burns in, in, you know, in the seventies, you know, you know, a lot of wins, but in this era of, you know, so-called big time football, he's the only guy who's ever been able to, you know, get it done to get all the different factions, you know, in the state, which is a really tough recruiting turf, you know, you know, the, you know, a lot of the high school programs, you know, they like sending their kids to, to, you know, the blue blood programs. He's the only one who's ever really been able to get, you know, the different parts of the state united behind be, behind records. He's really the only guy who's ever been able to kind of rebuild it. So, um, it, 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 you know, in a lot of ways, it was a true, you know, New Jersey story. There's so much, you know, political, you know, infighting and everything. And um, look, we documented it at the time, you know, Pat Hobbs, I think you know, was intrigued by the, the, the possibility of a Bush Jones or, or Brett Bielema or, you know, there was other guys who, who he was looking at. But ultimately, I think there were too many school officials, including Hobbs at the end, 
that, you know, just understood just the importance of bringing back Greg Schiano. So as you pointed out, I'm sure Ohio State fans vividly remember the the kind of the circus atmosphere that was happening in the second half of that game last year with all the gimmick plays and the gadgets and stuff like that. And that at the time seemed like a great strategy by Shiano, not only to, you know, um, equalize things on the field a little bit when you're outmanned, but also probably to like energize your program a little bit, you know, get, get guys excited and things like that. How much of that is still going on? It seems like that's still they still playing our a little bit fast and loose with it sometimes in a in a strategic way. But are you also seeing that kind of the next step is happening where they get to um, challenge you more just like toe to toe as well? Yeah, I think they went into the Michigan game, uh, Nate, uh, Nathan, that that they really thought they were going to have to in, in order to beat Michigan, they're going to have to uh, you know hit on a couple of those uh, you know trick plays and. I didn't, I think they kind of underestimated it that, you know, in the second half, they were going to be able to actually, you know, keep up with Michigan and, you know, and, and really win the battle in the trenches. Ohio State, different animal. Um, I think it bodes well knowing what they did against Michigan for the rest of the schedule when they play a Northwestern or an Illinois or, or Maryland or Indiana. I think they're going to have confident, confidence that they're going to be able to, to, to play with other Big Ten programs, that, you know, up front. Ohio State. Again, I go back to 35-3 at halftime, and, and the only way they were able to get back is they were able to punch Ohio State in the mouth with a couple of those plays. Um, I think, you know, in order to, you know, if you, if, if, if we're talking, you know, late on, on Saturday evening and, and Rutgers somehow was to, to pull off this uh, win, I think we're, we're probably looking at like probably four or five just wild, you know, uh, trick plays and, you know, some turnovers that Rutgers is going to have to force on defense. Where is Nora Vedral better this season? His percentage completion percentage is up. He hasn't thrown a pick yet, which was not the case at all in how he played last year. Where, just in this small sample size, and from converse the talks that you guys have had with Greg Shiano, where is Nora Vedral better this year that he may be able to exploit this Ohio State defense that's clearly still trying to figure it out? I think he understands. I mean, it's so simple to say, well, he knows the playbook better. He knows, you know, the system better, which he does. I mean, he came in last year and didn't really have the luxury of a training camp, you know, came in late from, from Nebraska. All that has helped him. What, what he understands better than anything, though, is, you know, Greg Schiano, you know, all coaches are like this, but especially Greg Schiano with, with this team in particular, will not tolerate turnovers, right? And for the first three weeks, no turnovers, they had one against Michigan. It was late in the final two minutes, and it was Vedral fumbling the ball, trying to make something happen. It happened. You know, the replay showed that he, he might have been down, but, you know, neither here, here nor there. It was still one in the books as a turnover. Noah Vedral understands, you know, and this is a Greg Schiano thing. They have a Big Ten, legitimate Big Ten defense. They have one of the best special teams. I know there's a bold statement, but I think they do have one across the board one of the best special teams units in the Big Ten, one of the best punters in the country, you know, the the, the returning Big Ten uh, uh, return specialist, and, you know, in Aaron Cruikshank. So two or three phases are legit Big Ten caliber. The offense, what Graciano wants at this uh, stage in, in, in their development, don't turn the ball over. Noah Vedral is very good at that. Like you said, he completes p- passes at, you know, at a, at a pretty efficient rate. He's not going to turn the ball over. Not going to wow anyone with big plays. Or, you know, the key is sustain drives, you know, maybe take a shot and, and, and hopefully get something out of their running game. 
Again, Rutgers so far, 61-14 over Temple to open the season, 17-7 over Syracuse, 45-13 over Delaware, then the 2013 loss to Michigan last week. And the SP+, Plus, Rutgers defensively number 24 in the country, offensively number 75 in the country. Um, overall in SP+, Plus, number 53. Overall in FPI, which is ESPN sort of power rankings, number 35. Number 35 in that. As you said, Sarge, you know – I. Isaiah Pacheco, Bo Melton, right? I mean, they're pretty decent players, but I don't know that the explosiveness is really there offensively. So those are the names I think that people would need to know. Cruikshank does a little bit on offense, but he's just definitely more, more dangerous on special teams as a return guy. How good's the defense, though? Like you said, it's a legit Big Ten defense. Ohio State's coming in, right, with a, a inexperienced quarterbacks. They've gotten good production from their run game. They have two of the best receivers in college football. Can can Rutgers dial something up, you think? I mean, get like, like a top 25 defense statistically. Do you think Rutgers has a chance to slow down Ohio State? Well, keep in mind, they are missing, you know, a key cornerback in Max Melton, who, who you know, as, as, you know, we reported, you know, that, that you know, he's been suspended, you know, uh, you know for, for a paintball incident, you know, that, you know, you could just Google that and, and look that up. But so they are missing a key cornerback. They played pretty well last week. You know, you know they had, uh, it was the first game for Patrice Renee, six-year senior from, from North Carolina. It'll be interesting to see what uh, Rutgers, uh, whether or not they can uh, compete and keep up with, um, you know, Alave and Wilson and all the uh, other different wide receivers and playmakers. The problem is we've seen Rutgers, even when they were struggling under Chris Ash, they've been able to keep up with some of the Big Ten uh, programs inside the trenches, um, you know, Purdue, Illinois, Northwestern even, but they cannot have never been able to keep up with Ohio State, you know, in terms of their skill position guys. So secondary, you know, back end, you know, even even the, the, the you know, the linebackers, you know, 03 uh, Fadakasi is amazing. He's a, he's a very, very good, you know, a legit Big Ten defensive player to your candidate. Beyond that, you know, the rest of the linebacker core, is, you know, is, you know, is still – you know, is unproven, you know, so the, the key is going to be stopping those wide receivers, those playmakers, as it is with a lot of different defenses. But, you know, I think Rutgers secondary and, the, and, you know, and their back seven is a little bit unproven. Before we let you get out of here, we want to talk about recruiting a little bit. Steven even texted this to our Ohio State tech subscribers. You guys do the tech subscribers, too. You guys, you guys live the tech subscriber life. We do. Man. It's a new world. You, it's, you guys are crushing it on that. Uh, I know we definitely got a memo at some point when you were breaking all the Shiano news on the tech subscription, it was like, why can't you guys text like New Jersey? And I was like, I'm, we're not Sarge. I'm sorry, Sarge <laughs> and Cratch and Politi. They are dominating that beat. Anyway, um, they've got the, the early quarterback. They have the Quinn Ewers of, of the Northeast. Rutgers, yeah. <laughs> what is the deal with that? And have you, so give us a little specifics on the quarterback who's in what you think his future is with Rutgers. And then do you see Greg Schiano raising the recruiting level across the board? I mean, he's already raised it based on his first recruiting class, you know, and, and you know, the second one, he's already, uh, you know, by all accounts, I'm, I'm, I'm not the resident uh, recruiting expert. I, I I'm a big believer and I'll, you know, evaluate and judge them with my own eyes when they, when they arrive, but you know, they, there are recruiting rankings for a reason and, you know, for the most part, a lot of them, you know, do hold up. That being said, Gavin Wimsat arrived, like you said, kind of like, uh, you know, the second ever, uh, you know, <laughs> freshly minted, you know, early enrollee right out of high school. 
um, you know, signee, um, lots of expectations. Keep in mind, Ohio State probably gets like three or four, like five-star uh, quarterbacks every recruiting cycle, it seems, right? This is really, the, the, you know, the biggest, if you want to count Tom Savage, I mean, you know, but basically he's the biggest uh, quarterback recruit they've ever had. Um, you know, he, we've seen him now. We've seen him in practice. He, he, you know, you know, he passes the airport test, right? Like if he gets off the plane, you're like, whoa, that, you know, that's the way, you know, quarterback in 21 um, should look. Noah Vedro, on the other hand, really doesn't like, you know, you, you know, he, you know, he, he's not the prototypical quarterback. All that being said, Vedro has another year. Um, I think at some point, again, this is no inside information, but uh, yeah, I just, I kind of think that he's here for a reason. I think at some point they're going to work Wimsat in. I don't expect it to be this week, but at some point you're going to get his feet wet because you're going to have to know whether in 2022, whether, you know, Wimsat is a guy, Vedral still has another year because of, you know, I think, you know, he might be a ninth year senior by then, but I think, he, but he does have another uh, year of eligibility. So I still question whether or not, Wimsat even next season will be given the range. Maybe there's a little bit of a split, but he is certainly the quarterback of the future. It's, there's no other more telling you know, indictment than the fact that Graciano didn't bring in a, a scholarship quarterback in this past recruiting class. That's kind of just to kind of jump in there a little bit. You're saying he actually is participating in practice as if he's been there since like January, even if, first of all, he showed up after playing three high school games, which is already interesting enough. Correct. That's a that's very polar opposite from where Ryan Day is. Anytime we've talked, asked him about it, Doug specifically, it's basically been, no, there's no chance of him playing here. He's not even really practicing. So there, you you guys, Greg Schiano has not shut down the possibility of Gavin potentially he's playing not. this year, even in nope. garbage minutes. Yeah, no, he is not. And, uh, like I said, I mean, can't really um, unveil, uh, you know, reveal too much, you know, from the practice standpoint. But look, I mean, it's no secret. Like he dresses on game days, and and mm-hmm. you know, we have seen him throw a, a football. Um, you know, I can't tell you, you know, whether it was a spiral or not. That might be breaking the program rule. But uh, <laughs> so, but you know, he is. I mean, he does. Like I said, he 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 looks the part. You know, you see him on game day. You guys will see him on on Saturday during warmups when you know when players are in the field. So. You know, he does look the part of a, uh, you know, the way a quarterback's supposed to look. He's Keith Sargent. He's on the beat with James Cratch at NJ.com. Helped out occasionally by, ah, Steve Politi. He's kind of highfalutin. You know, oh, I'm going to go to Mexico and write an award-winning story. I'm Steve Politi. <laughs> I go to the Masters and drink iced tea. Tell him I said that. Um, one of the best he columnists listens. in the country. He's a big listener of this podcast. So, Yeah, yeah, I'm sure he is. Uh so Polite is great. Cratch and Sargent are as good as it gets for a beat, uh, a beat team in the country. And then Todrick Hunt, man, he tears it up, right? He's still your recruiting guy, isn't he? Yeah, he is. Yep. He owns that stuff. So this is a great, great college football reporting team. If you want to keep your eye on Rutgers, you got to go to NJ.com. And even if you just like college football, just go and find good reporting and good writing. Sarge, thanks for the help, man. Always great to talk to you. Great to have you on. And uh, best of luck this season, man. Anytime. Thanks. Thanks, guys. See you Saturday. Thanks. All right, so we will be back on Buckeye Talk with more thoughts from us about this game, and then we'll get to our picks. We'll do that next, right after this. All right, thanks to Keith Sargent for joining us on that. We'll get to our picks in a little bit. We're also going to say what we think is going to happen with Michigan, Wisconsin, and Maryland, Iowa. But Nathan, just finishing up with Ryan Day on Thursday afternoon, we have all the Rutgers information that anybody listening to this could possibly want. Where are we... What? Where have we changed our opinion about Ohio State? What's our opinion about Ohio State 
going into this Rutgers game. Let's start with the quarterback play first of all. What are you expecting from C.J. Stroud based on the way Ryan Day has talked about him this week? I would think that you're going to see a sharper C.J. Stroud than you saw against Tulsa, where the shoulder was clearly affecting him. Like that was the whole point of giving him that week off was that just to allow him to maybe come back out and take that bite of from the shoulder out of the things he is fighting through as a first time starting quarterback. I mean, there's so many other things that you have that you have to overcome. You shouldn't have to also then overcome your own physical problems. And that game gave them the perfect opportunity to do that. So my assumption from what we've seen, what we've heard and just uh, talking to people that he's, you're going to see a healthier version than you did against Tulsa. Now, I think that's only half the battle for him, though. There's also a whole other component as far as how is he reading the game? How is he seeing the game? And Ryan Day, sometimes this is complete coach speak, and maybe that was the case here again. But also threw in the whole thing about, well, that week where you're just watching practice, that week where you're just watching a game, mental reps, does that give you a new perspective when you take the reins again this week? That's another thing to factor in. Yeah, I don't think C.J. Stroud's going to throw a Kyle McCord-style pick this week. Like, when you watch Kyle McCord throw that pick, not that C.J. has thrown any yeah. Kyle McCord-style picks, but everybody learned from that Kyle McCord interception. And I'm sure Ryan Day got in the film room and was like, you see this? You see this? This is number one on the list of don't do's. And it's like everyone's writing that down. Don't do that thing that he just did. To be fair, he did throw a Kyle McCord pick against Tulsa. And well, probably no, but not the same lashing. But I, I don't know. It was I, a different style pick. It's a different style yeah. pick. CJ's was more in rhythm. He forced it into a spot. He shouldn't have forced it. Kyle yeah. was like trying to make a play by sidestepping a rush and yes. throwing it sidearm. Correct. But yes, yes CJ Stroud has made mistakes as well. Steven, are you confident in that as well, that we see the best CJ Stroud that anyone has seen in a game so far? Yes. And I think Nathan said something when we were recording our uh, predictions video for uh, YouTube. So go check that out. That'll be up there by time you guys hear this that this might be a prove it week for the defense I think it's a prove it week for CJ Stroud as well because maybe in a different way because if the if the lingering problems that aren't attributed to he's a young quarterback were because of the shoulder okay you had a week off and we've heard Garrett Wilson say it and we've heard Ryan Day say it on multiple occasions now that he looks better Garrett Wilson basically said this is the best I've seen him throw in a while if that's the case then this should be the week that we see C.J. Stroud make that jump to start towards the, the, the being the best version of himself it, that we're going to see period in, in his career. So it's kind of a proven week for him, too, because it's you don't have that excuse anymore. You might not be 100 percent, but if you're 85 percent, that should be good enough for you to start showing more consistently what you have the ability, what you have the capability of being. Do we expect Thayer Munford to play this week? I think there are indications and he wasn't asked about that today, but we saw him at practice yesterday. He was mm -hmm. in full uniform with the on Wednesday the braces and everything yeah. on Wednesday. Yeah. So I, I would, I think he is playing. Yes. So the other thing, like we have not seen the full Ohio state offense yet because Travion Henderson wasn't the main back the first two weeks. Then week three, when Travion Henderson goes nuts, Chris Olave doesn't have a catch. And then week four, they play their backup quarterback against the Mac team. So we also have not seen what it looks like when it's Olave, Wilson, Henderson, and the starting quarterback all operating at a high level. We can imagine what that looks like. We have not seen that yet. So that is out there for this offense as well. And it certainly feels like there is a chance that we get that version of that this week. Defensively, as, as Stephen referenced, Nathan, you said that you, you think this is kind of a prove-it week 
for the defense. I think this could be a, a very good week for this Ohio State defense to look really healthy because I think even – I think this is – I mean, Akron's Akron. We can just almost sort of discard Akron. They're one of the five worst teams in major college football. But I don't think the Rutgers quarterback is as good as the Tulsa quarterback. I think Noah Vedral is the worst quarterback outside of Akron that Ohio State has faced so far. They don't have a ton of, like, scary playmakers. Their their defense, as we noted with, with Keith, is much lower rated. Actually, their offense is much lower rated than their defense. I, I don't know, other than some dipsy-doo dunkaroo, you know, stuff that they'll try. This isn't a quarterback who I think is going to, like, push it down the field against them. I don't think he's, like, super dangerous in the zone read. He's just fine. He's fine. And in the history of Ohio State football, they eat fine quarterbacks for lunch most of the time. And then again, if they don't, then it's back to like red alert for this defense. Because frankly, if you can't, if you can't get after Noah Vedra, like I don't know what you're doing. Yeah, Noah Vedra's not going to come out and go laser show on this defense like Michael Penix or whatever last season. That's just that's not what he does. But when when we saw early this season, this Ohio State defense having problems. What was the problem? It was, I thought, a lack of discipline. I thought it was a lack of preparation. I thought it was a lack of recognition by individual guys of what their job was. And what's Rutgers probably going to come out and try to do on Saturday? I think you're going to see some unbalanced formation. Like you're going to see some misdirection. I think they're going to come out and, and not they can't go toe to toe with Ohio State. They have to try to manufacture their explosive plays and their chunk plays and do it getting you off balance, getting you out of position. So I think that's where the that's where it's kind of a prove it week for this Ohio State defense. It's not necessarily um, that Rutgers is going to challenge them downfield. I think the, the 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 challenge for Ohio State starts with do you come out and play a disciplined game of defense against an opponent that's going to try to do everything it can to make you look undisciplined. That's really the next step. We're still in a we don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves with our analysis of this Ohio State defense. I think you you bring up something. We've, we've been talking about it really even since before the Akron game. I think Steve and I both wrote about coming out of the Akron game, our, our immediate reactions to that game, very similar messages like this was, you know, the Ohio State defense should feel good about itself today, but it's Akron. So what do you do when you go up against a team that is more, um, a little bit more talent equated, but also just probably better coached and is going to come out and attack you in a more creative way. I think that's what you're going to see from Rutgers on Saturday and how state has to be ready to, um, like I said, play discipline, but then also react better to the creativity than they did the last time when they played Oregon, because that's what, that's where there's a potential problem for this defense coming out of this game. You win, but you still look kind of sloppy and unprepared and out of place on defense. And you've changed the scheme a little bit and you've changed the play caller and there's new guys in new positions and you still look like that. That's where I think then the doubt creeps in again on this defense. Yeah. I think if to kind of backpedal, I mean, pretty simply that first series, you don't want them to come off the field after that first series, regardless of how it ends, whether it's a punt turnover, a field goal, whatever. We don't want to be looking up. Uh, Nathan and I shouldn't be looking at each other in the press box going, this defense has no idea what it's doing. Nobody out there knows what they're doing. That's, that's the first initial first impression I want to feel after that first series, do I feel comfortable that all 11 guys or all 13, whoever plays on that first series knows exactly what they're supposed to be doing. And then we can go from there. Who's making plays, you know, who's doing something extra to help this team win. We, I think I've definitely seen it. It's taking them time to figure out how to feel comfortable in the zone. They're playing more zone. They have to be able to drop and and not just leave easy holes in that zone. I think they'll, 
they got they better they better steadily get better at that. That's something to watch for. And then they have to get a pass rush against somebody that's not accurate. So like if they can't get any pressure, that's going to continue to be an issue. So again, we we don't know specifics right now, but we are expecting them to get a little healthier, right, on the defensive line. Two weeks ago, they didn't have Zach Harrison. Now, last week they had Zach Harrison, but they didn't have Tyreek Smith or Teron Vincent or Javante Jean-Baptiste. So it's like we haven't seen this group sort of back together at full strength for a while. So it's, again, one of these things of, okay, well, there seem to be a lot of reasons for why the defense should look better because they're getting more accustomed to the thing they switch to because they're getting a little bit healthier, and then we have to see it. Like it, we, we really need to see it because, and again, We'll talk about this in a second. Every Ohio State fan, if you're not out, go on date night, Friday night, go on a date night. You know, just go hang out with your friends, go out with your kids, you know, go out, just go, go out and see the world. Great. But DVR, right? Do the do the DVR. I can still remember. Do you guys remember the first time you ever saw a DVR commercial? And it was like, you could pause live TV. And I was like, what sorcery is this? And it's like, now it's just that. It amazes me sometimes. Don't you remember that? The first time you saw a DVR commercial? And it felt like we were living on the moon. It's like five. <laughs> when I start doing the stuff, when I start talking about things that happened more than 10 years ago, I'm just going to drop Steven off the pod <laughs> from now on. Cause Steven's always like, I don't know. I mean, I was DVR in the backyard again. What are you talking about? Big freaking deal, old man. So big freaking deal, old man, Buckeye talk. So, but watch Maryland, Iowa on Friday night because it really matters because that is going to be something. I don't think, I think Rutgers as a team is something. It's not nothing. Rutgers as a team used to be nothing. I think Rutgers offensively is still closer to nothing than it is something. Maryland is a thing offensively. So like watch what's coming. I'm not saying it's, you know, Lincoln Riley offense, but like it's pretty, I think competent, dynamic Big Ten offense. I, I think everyone agrees on that. I think you can find some metrics that Talia Tonga-Vailoa is playing as well as any quarterback in the country in some ways right now. So watch Friday night, because I think that Iowa defense is probably better, not probably, is better than Ohio State's defense. Right now it is. So if Iowa shuts down Tonga-Vailoa, it's like, okay, maybe Maryland isn't quite what we thought. If Maryland can move the ball against Iowa, then you are on alert for what Maryland might do to the Ohio State defense at homecoming noon next week. So that's an important game Friday night. But I just don't think Rutgers offensively is going to challenge this defense all that much. So it is a prove it game. But I think I don't know that we can Nathan. I'm not sure there's. I'm not sure this Ohio State defense could do anything against Rutgers that would make us say, oh, that's it. It's solved because it's just not enough of a test. It's going to get to Maryland for that. But I do think we could see it offensively if it's like, ah, the rest for CJ. That's the CJ Stroud. Now you've got all these pieces. Munford's back. I think we, we could get a real sense of the offense this week. I think we still have to delay for a week. There any real sense of the Ohio State defense. Yeah, but I think it's just progress, right? I think this this team, relative to the Ohio State standard, was so sketchy from a defensive standpoint there early on and really even lingering through the Tulsa game that it, now it's just a matter of just stringing together progress. And yep. this is another example of that. But I think you because of the, the, the threat that's waiting from Maryland, regardless of what I think happens against Iowa, I think the Maryland, Maryland is a real threat. Then because of that, they've got to show progress this week. You can't take a step back this week and then try to match what Maryland's going to do in two weeks. 
pressure is the main thing I think you would like to see is like, can they get a pass rush against somebody that's not accurate? And if it's like, oh, look, they had one sack. It's like, okay, well, maybe not. Because I think if you don't get a little pressure on, on Tonga Bailoa, then like it could be a long day against them. So I think that's the main thing that I would look for from the Ohio State defense. Okay. And the, We're gonna, the thing, go ahead, Steven. The th- one thing. And the thing is pressure from the ends, just as well as the defensive tackles. That's because that's like the main stat is they have 13 sacks this year. And obviously, nine of them came against Akron, but 10 of them are defensive tackles. And it's basically Haskell Garrett and Talik Williams who started playing two weeks ago. So it's really if the defensive tackles keep doing what they're doing, and then Zach Harrison and JTT and Tyreek Smith and Jack Sawyer and them, that bunch start having some production as well, then this goal defense can really get clicking. Good point. Agree. All right. We'll make our picks on this game and a couple other Big Ten games when we come back on Buckeye Talk. Try the text at 614-350-3315. I believe this is right. We're going to double check them. I think our records against the spread through four games, I think I'm 1-2-1 and and you guys are each 0-3-1. and and on the over-unders, I think I'm 2-1-1, one, and one, and you guys are both 1-2-1. One, and one. But bottom line is, don't listen to us. Last week, we had the uh, Buckeye Talk Charity Challenge, the Set Your Money on Fire Charity Challenge. I would like to make that a thing if we can, maybe next year. The thing that I'm envisioning, I'm already envisioning this now, is like if there's a, when we get to the point where there's an Ohio app, where it's legalized gambling in Ohio, various companies just have their apps where you go on and bet on your phone, And then it would have to be very easy to work with one of those companies to have for a week, as easy as it is to go on and bet, there's another button you can hit to donate to charity. So this week, hit that button within their app, and it's the Buckeye Talk Set Your Money on Fire Charity Challenge. And and I'm already thinking about that. And it'll be good promotion because they'll be trying to, you know, get followers in Ohio and be good, raise some money for charity. And so... I hope it be it becomes a little more thing, but there's always time. If you didn't give to the Buckeye Talk, set your money on fire charity challenge last week, drop up a couple bucks to a local charity and uh, and think about what bad gambling advice we give as you do it. Ohio State, a 15-point favorite in this game. The over-under is 58. Nathan, I think we all agree that 15 just seems light, man. And it seems light, especially in the context of a week ago, Rutgers was a 20-point underdog to Michigan. And I guess that game was at Michigan. Is that right? Was that game at yeah, Michigan? Yeah. So I get so, it. But it's it's not like Rutgers has some giant home field advantage, right? I mean, like, there's going to be a bunch of Ohio State fans there, too. I just think if Michigan was 20, how could this only be 15? I mean, if you're thinking that Michigan and Ohio State are somewhat equated right now on your power rankings or whatever, then 20 versus 17 makes a little bit of sense. You just give three extra points to Michigan for the home game or subtract three since Rutgers has a home game, whatever. But now it, it keeps tricking, trickling down like this. I'm not exactly sure what's driving that unless it's just a lack of um, belief in anything state showed against Akron, which I understand. And, and maybe also um, the uncertainty in the quarterback situation from at large, did that contribute to it? I don't know. And how can we live in a, how can we live in a world where Ohio state was a 14 point favorite over Oregon and is only a 15 point favorite over Rutgers. And like, I know know more about all those teams. No, I know, but the talent's still there. The talent is the same perceived talent. It's okay. Now we're seeing how teams are playing. I get it, but that's, that's none of that makes sense to me. That's an overreaction to what you've seen on the field. And I think like in rankings, right. If I'm ranking stuff as an AP voter or something, 
Of course you're reacting to the field. That's all that matters. But if you're betting, because that's what people said all the time. Oh, well, Vegas says this, Vegas says that, because Vegas doesn't only look at results. Vegas is like, ah, sometimes the results trick you. That's what I think has happened here. It's 14 against Oregon and 15 against Rutgers. Do you, where, where are, I mean, Oregon has 12 players that are better than Rutgers best player. This is nonsense to me. It's crazy in a world where it's, what do they think this game, the score is, I understand that's not how, totally how this works, but what do they think the score of this game is going to be? Because I understand Ohio State hasn't looked perfect, but they've scored 30-plus points in all but one game, and that was Oregon game when they had 28. Meanwhile, Rutgers' only game above 20 is against Temple, and that was the first week of the season. So, like, some of this has to just have some logic in it. Of, now, they played you, more than, they, they scored 45 against Delaware, too. And Okay, sorry, yes. Temple and an FCS school. Anytime they have played a power five opponent, they have had 17 points and 13 points. So, yeah. But th- the point still stands. One team, it looks bad and is still scoring a lot of points. The other team has been very impressive for what they are, and they barely score against anybody who's like-minded when it if comes you, to the talent level. If you think Rutgers is going to score 20, then you ask yourself, do you think the Buckeyes can get to 35? And it's like, well, yeah, I think they probably yes. can. I, I mean, I, I know the Rutgers defense is a competent Big Ten defense, as Keith Sargent said, but it's like, can they get to 35? Again, we've... The line two years ago is 52 and a half. So let's get to our picks. I, I'm, I'm 41-16. I mean, I'm not going to pick them to win by 50, but I'm 41-16, and that allows for a last-second Rutgers touchdown that would make it an 18-point game, but Ohio State still covers. So this is a 25-point margin of victory, and I, I'm just very comfortable in the high 30s, low 40s to – mid-teens to low-20s kind of thing. And just all of that leads to Ohio State covering the 15. Nathan, what's your pick? I'm 41-16. I'm very similar neighborhood, 37-16. Uh, with, would not surprise me at all if I'm, if I'm low on the Ohio State side of things. It's just hard for me to envision Rutgers scoring a lot more points than that. And so that's why I think as much as the spread – is intriguing to me that under is really intriguing to me too like 58 points i agree with steven like i'm not sure what combination of points you think there's you really think rutgers to score that many points against ohio state to make that that spread and that that under both make sense so the spread and the and the over makes sense or the right? spread and the you know yes, you yes, think yes. you think the under does make sense you can't imagine how they're going to get over is that what, that's what you're saying I can imagine it just because I, you know, Rutgers does some some weird things, and uh, maybe Ohio State gets caught off guard again or whatever. But um, it just, I, I, I have a hard time getting there. Just if, if Ohio State plays good defense at all, keeping them under twenty points shouldn't be that hard. So your bet, both of our bets are take Ohio State minus fifteen and take under fifty eight. That's where both you and I are right now, Nathan. Yep. And you're even more under than I am, slightly. All right, Stephen, where are you? I'm clearly both over. I'm 45 to 20. I, I just think we haven't seen this offense completely click yet. We've seen it in sputters with the passing game. We've seen Trevion Henderson come into his own over the last couple of weeks. Well, I think we need a week where all of that clicks at the same time. And this is where it happens. And so they get to 45. And I agree. This defense is is getting there, but it's not there yet. So they're still going to give up some points. Rutgers still gets an end zone a couple of times, but then I think it maybe flames out with some field goals. So forty five to twenty. This is this is the week of the offense and the defense. Maybe if it needs to get to ten, maybe it goes from five to six this week, while the offense goes from six to nine. So that's all of us saying give the fifteen with Ohio State, but 
Stevens going over 58, Nancy and I are under 58. The over-under numbers have been unbelievable so far. The Tulsa over-under was 61. That pushed. The over-under last week for Akron was 66 and a half, and it was 66. Like it's it, they've been like right on it, and it would have gone over except the guy for Akron dropped the touchdown on the end zone again. That's why gambling. Mm. Oh my god, it makes your makes your head explode. Um, all right, let's do this quickly. The two oh, by the way, we want to get to the texters, the texter thoughts on that. Um, the texters are with us giving the points with Ohio State. The texters 73% Ohio State minus 15, 27% take Rutgers plus 15. Total points over under 58. 63% say take the over. They are with Steven. 37% take the under. That's where Nathan and I are. I want to talk about Wisconsin, Michigan. Wisconsin is home, favored by 1.5 over Michigan. I asked the Texters throughout the spread, who do you think actually wins? Nathan, who do you think the Texters picked to win? Michigan or Wisconsin? Michigan. Steven, who do you think they picked? It's the battle of the noodle arm versus the maybe noodle arm, uh, Michigan. I don't know if I think Cade McNamara is a noodle arm. They just don't ask him to do anything yet. Michigan, 65%. Wisconsin, 35%. There's a couple weird things here with the two games we're talking about this week. And the other game is Iowa minus three at Maryland on Friday night. It's like people think Iowa might be the second best team in the league and they're clearly the best team in the West, but they're only a three point favorite on the road at the team that we think is like the fourth best team in the East. But on the other hand, Michigan that is like in the top 10 of some analytics ratings is an underdog at a Wisconsin team. That's looked like crap so far. So both these lines seem to me to not fit with the general perception that I know Iowa has to go on the road, but still you're Iowa, right? You're Iowa and you're, you only you're only a three-point favorite at Maryland. I asked people to pick, who do you think wins Iowa-Maryland outright? 71% Iowa, 29% Maryland. So I want to get both your picks on both these games. Steven, give me both at once. Who is your Wisconsin-Michigan pick? And who is your Iowa-Maryland pick? And if you want to pick with the spread, that's fine. No, I'm just going to pick. I'm stuck at the spread, obviously. Uh, Michigan beats Wisconsin. I think it validates its run game a little bit that week. And then... I'm going to go out on a ledge. Maryland beats Iowa. All right, Nathan, what do you say? Yeah. I'm going to take Iowa to beat Maryland, but I, I would stay away from that spread. I think it's like a, that's a really good number. I think Maryland's decent and I would take Michigan to win at Wisconsin. And I think I would, I, I, even if Michigan was favored by four points right now, I might be taking Michigan. Yeah. I'm very confused by that. If, if, if Wisconsin beats Michigan, then we just don't, then I just throw out both those teams for the rest of the year, whatever. You're in the luck. As much as you said, Wisconsin looked terrible. They've looked still very good on defense for the most part and really good against the run. Like their numbers against the run are, are tremendous. So if you're a handicapper and you're factoring that in, that maybe they are great at the thing that Michigan is great at. And that equalizes a little bit. I sort of see, I still don't know if that gets me to where I'd pick Michigan to win or Wisconsin to win this game, just because on offense, Wisconsin's looked like just, yeah, awful. I get, yeah. All that tells me is that Michigan's going to win the game 14 to 10 with the last touchdown coming in the last four minutes of the game. Well, you know how this stuff goes, everybody. And then it's like Wisconsin's going to win 41 38 or something. Cause yep. football's crazy. I just don't, I think Maryland, as much as people are excited about Maryland, I, Iowa's defense is Iowa's defense. I think so. Um, they have done a really good job. They've also been, uh, but I'm also a little bit out on Iowa because 
like not that they've gotten lucky, but they didn't look great against Colorado State last week when they when they they've won a lot with turnovers, right? They picked off Penix early mm-hmm. on and that swung the game against Indiana. They won the turnover battle against Iowa State for nothing. So if they don't turn over Maryland, I don't know. And I think Tagovailoa hasn't thrown a pick yet. So He's like got that's one. One. Okay. So like that's, that's part of it too, that I do think Iowa's defense has been opportunistic. And if Maryland doesn't give them those opportunities, then I don't know, but I still would take Iowa and give the points there. I think this is just the perfect like storm for Iowa to lose. I think of the normal big 10 teams, I'm throwing out Ohio State in this discussion. This is Maryland's buildup makeup is perfect to beat Iowa, especially if it's playing at home because Talia has just been even going back to last year has been, Heisman Trophy level at home, but then he goes on the road and he looks like a noodle arm for some reason. Yeah, he's been very efficient. Like he's been around 70, 75% completions every mm-hmm. week. So regardless of the outcome of this game, I would tell Ohio State fans, look kind of inside the numbers at that. Does he is he able to still be efficient moving the ball against Iowa? Because I think you're right, Doug. I think this is that Iowa defense is better than what Ohio State is putting on the field right now. So Tonga Valley won't have to be quite as good maybe to do that. Yeah, they don't give you a lot of room to breathe. Everybody's covered. They're on top of you. There's just there's they don't really give an inch. Yes, they force turnovers, but even down to down, they just don't they don't let you break free of much. So um, be a good game to watch. I'm definitely going to watch that game Friday night. Make sure you guys are following. If you guys kind of drop the some hints here, I'm not going to Rutgers. So my daughter has a play. It's also homecoming. My oldest daughter's last homecoming. My youngest daughter's in a play this weekend. So I'm staying home, but I will be watching the game and we will all be potting together after the game. Steven and Nathan will be uh, at Rutgers for this one, 3.30 on Saturday afternoon. Stick with Buckeye Talk. We appreciate you guys making us part of your week. For Nathan Baird and Steven Means, I'm Doug Maurice, and that was Buckeye Talk. Mm-hmm.